We translate the research we know about best practices with school, curriculum, and parenting to teachers, administrators, parents, and youth. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education, here with Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education at Stanford University. Hello, Denise. Hi, Dan. So I have a good one. So Stanford, like all college campuses, during the summer, they have all sorts of camps. We have uh, sports camps, cheerleading camps, academic enrichment camp. So what kind of camp do you think fills up the fastest? where you have to get in the soonest? I'm guessing, because this is called Stanford University, that people are trying to get into the academic, like the most technology, like coding camp or something like that. That's what I would have thought, too. It's pirate camp. It's pirate camp. Pirate camp. camp. The kids really like to walk around going, arg, matey, and the parents love it, and the kids wear patches. People pay money to send their kid to Stanford University to be a pirate. Yes, it's uh, great. That's it's crazy. Great. I love it. I love it. I, I have very fond memories of camp. So I, I went to camp from when I was probably four years old, and I went to day camps for a while, and then I went to sleepover camps, and then I became a counselor. And then when I was in college and graduate school, I became you know program director and whatnot. And so my what? sister loved it so much, she actually runs a camp. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so why did why did your parents send you to camp all the time? Were you just a holy terror? Yeah, no. Can you tell that I was a holy terror? <laughs> to be honest, so back then when it was resident camp, we went away for a month. And my parents did love that. They got rid of all three of us for a month, right? I mean, who wouldn't like that? You need a little bit of a break from the summer. And day camp, honestly, because my mom worked and my dad worked, they, they needed something for us to do in the summer. But we loved it. I mean, it was some of my best friends still to this day come from camp. I have incredible memories of, you know, camp things like making the lanyards um, out of that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Yes, it's a classic. It's It's a a classic. classic. And um, playing with the popsicle stick hockey game and roasting marshmallows. I just have these incredible memories. Sorry, the popsicle stick hockey game? Yeah, it's like you have a popsicle stick as your hockey stick. And And it's like a miniature little hockey game. And then you're shooting uh, folded up uh, chewed gum hockey puck. It's kind of like one of those folded up papers, you know, like those folded up football things. Yeah. No, we camp was awesome. And we we learned a ton. Did you go to camp, Dan? I did. Nobody liked me there. It was a lonely experience. You don't have fond (laughs) memories of camp. I went to basketball camp and my son went to basketball camp. That was okay. it, It never occurred to me that camp was something other than. My kid's going to like it. This is something to do in the summer. You didn't think that camp was about learning more than just like playing basketball? Yeah. So this has been an interesting turn. I think people are looking towards uh, summer camps as an opportunity to provide things that schools don't provide. And also there's interesting literature coming out that over summer, kids sort of slide backwards in some of their academic skills. So you want to keep them in an enrichment environment. These kinds of things never occurred to me. Camp was something that I'm looking for a cheap camp that my kid will enjoy. <laughs> right. What's the cheap, right, good yeah. old-fashioned cheap camp. I mean, I, I've heard the same thing. I've Challenge Success has been working with the American Camping Association, and one of the things that they've said is we have more kids who are going to summer school now, more kids who feel at a young age that they need to have fancy internships. I mean, we're talking like middle schoolers instead of going to camp. And also this, this concept of if they're going to go to camp, 
this is why I guessed what I guessed when you asked me the question, that it should be to learn a skill like coding or a technical kind of skill, an yeah. academic skill. So yeah. they've sort of lost that idea of camp and play and, and don't really understand the value. So this is a good time to introduce our very generous guest, Glenn Tripp. He's the founder of Galileo Learning, and uh, which also runs a camp called Camp Galileo that has 57,000 students right now, or kids, in Chicago and San Francisco, Los Angeles, Orange County. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So let me ask that about camps. So your camps are unique in that they sort of provide design, innovation, opportunities, some science learning. How, why did you choose that as the topic of the camp or the theme of the camp? To get to that answer, we have to go back to 2001, which is when the No Child Left Behind legislation was sort of working its way through. And when I heard that that was happening, what I started to wonder was, why are we going to take education in the direction of more narrowly focusing on core academic subjects when the whole world is telling us that we need to have a new generation of people who can creatively solve problems and discover opportunities and think like artists and visionaries and creators in the world. And Let me just clarify for folks who might not know what No Child oh, Left you. Behind is. that mm-hmm. you, you said it beautifully, that, that the focus is really on academics. And back then they were creating standards and, and accountability around making sure that every child knew the, the basics in academics. Yeah, and being tested by fairly narrow tests. Right. So you looked at that and said, no. I could see the value of why that might be important, especially in certain settings. But I also saw that the world was going in another direction, which is one that would value creativity and innovation. And simply um, the, the ability to work with other people collaboratively on a project to get to some sort of outcome. And summer seemed like the perfect window to go out and uh, create a program that was not constrained by those same standards-based approaches to education. So I saw that there was a tremendous need for quality summer programming, and I thought there might be a way to use that time to create an environment where kids felt free to create. And so that was the origin story of how we came to start this in Palo Alto back in 2002. And since that time, we have found indeed that there is a lot of hunger on the part of parents to um, use summertime to expose them to things that they might not get to see during the school year. So it's summer camp. It has to be fun, Mm -hmm. right? Summer camp. Denise, does summer camp have to be fun? It has to be fun, yeah. It can't feel like a a torture. No. (laughs) Well, you could go to camp where you just march. You know, you learn okay, to march. And there's no, there's no, no such thing as march. Please tell me there's no such thing as marching camp. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there probably is okay. somewhere. <laughs> there are camps. Well, there's band camp, but that's yeah. different. That's different. Then you do learn to march, but you're playing an instrument in the band. Sorry, Glenn. There are camps that are not solving for fun, first and foremost. And I will say that was one of the lessons we learned very early on, that no matter what it was we were trying to accomplish on, from a growth perspective, the number one requirement was that this had to be something that parents didn't have to get their kids out of bed for. The kids had to want to go yeah. back every day because no parent, myself included, wants to have to drag their kids to a summer camp. So that was always thing number one is that we had we, we decided we wanted to have the fun, silly, wacky characteristics of a traditional um, sleepaway camp or day camp. In fact, the very first camp director we hired had been a residential camp director and brought that spirit to the camps. In fact, that was my background. My first job when I was an undergrad at Stanford was working at the Stanford Sierra Camp. Um, and so 
for us, we always knew that we wanted to have that costume wearing, game playing, ritual um, experience for kids. But then on top of that, we wanted to invest in a curriculum that allowed kids to engage in project-based experiences that gave them confidence in their ability to go from vision or idea to reality. And that's what we thought was missing from the day-to-day experience in school. So give us an example of what you mean. I don't people don't usually think of camp and curriculum in the same, you know, phrase. So what, what give us an example. Right. And we hope that the curriculum piece of it is somewhat invisible to the kids. I mean, obviously we we can't our camps are based at elementary schools for the most part. And so we do everything we can to make it not feel like they're going back to school. Everything from the direct decorations to the ways in which people dress and uh, address each other, in fact. So um, an example of something you might do is build a go-kart from scratch over the course of a week. And so as a group of kids going through that experience, I am going to learn some skills like how to use power tools or how to make my alignment of my wheels work correctly. And I'm going to learn some science and engineering to go along with that. But I'm also going to learn to think of myself as somebody who can take on a hard project that requires multiple iterations. It's going to be physically demanding and mentally demanding. And I'm going to learn how to take feedback from my peers. And I'm going to learn how to creatively generate ideas. So the curriculum will build in all sorts of rituals that help teach or develop those tools. Like, for example, how to generate ideas. Lots of strategies for doing that. As a kid ages through our programs, we can give them four or five different strategies for generating ideas that they can walk away with, right? So it won't always be visible to the kids, but what we hope is that a kid that goes through multiple years of our programs will walk away thinking of themselves as a change agent in the world because they've had the experience over and over again of going from idea to reality. And doing something really hard. I mean, are, are, I'm, mm-hmm. when you say go-karts, I'm picture. are they actually getting in them? These and- are human-sized go-karts that won't even fit in your trunk. In fact, I can't tell you the number of times parents show up on a Friday to take home these go-karts, and they're like, oh, we should have brought the big car because – and they're getting in, and then do they race them or something at the end? Yeah, there's a, a series of races where, where the kids get to uh, face off and, and see who has the fastest one or the best style. And meanwhile, the kids who are doing the photography um, major on the in the other room are coming over to photograph what's going on. So there's a way to bring all these different content areas together under one roof. So, I mean, I know we're talking about Galileo, but I think that the bigger story is that summertime can be a window in which kids can get exposed to things that they're not doing during the school year, which is a super, turns out, one of the, a very very valuable thing for people. So should school have more innovation activities, more fun even? Yes and yes. (laughs) He says it like, I can't even imagine school being fun, right? Well, I couldn't imagine summer camp being fun. Oh, so. uh, yeah. I, no. That's, so the go-karts, that's a really great example of fun. And, yeah. you know, could you do that in a science class? You know, What are some of the— Well, there are schools that, that are making more time for either intercession programs or after-school programs or even during-the-day programs that allow for this sort of thing. I think the answer to your question, Dan, is yes, we should be working on adding both of those. Um, but, I, but one of the things that I see—so right now it's very trendy to talk about makerspace Spaces, coding curriculum, um, adding design thinking to your class, training your teachers in these um, topic areas. But the thing that I'm concerned about is that we get very focused on, on small content areas or skill areas instead of thinking about the bigger picture of how do we create experiences that build confidence in this whole idea of, of collaborative project doing together, right? Because it's not just about learning how to code. It's learning how to go th- develop the mindsets that are necessary to help you be creative. 
You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are speaking with Glenn Tripp about Galileo learning and really learning a little bit outside the box, having fun and learning really important skills for the future. So I, uh, I send my kid to camp and I send him to the same camp two, three, four years in a row. You on the other side, the camp provider, should be able to see, oh, look, this kid is getting to be a better camper, say, in innovation, things like that. Do you see this when the kids come back? that you see the residue of the earlier camp with them? Absolutely. And I think that uh, one of the things we like to believe is that no matter where a person falls naturally on the creativity or innovation spectrum, we all have the ability to become innovators. We just need to sharpen those muscles, strengthen those muscles, build those tools that go along with it. I mean, kids might start with a very natural instinct around creating, but there's actually a lot of things that you can learn that can help you be more successful in a, in a creative or innovative environment. And so we find that when kids return year after year, that they are able to more quickly jump into the mode of creating together. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've done some work with the Stanford Graduate School of Education to to look into this effect, and I think it's been very uh, interesting to kind of really understand how can we affect mindset over multiple years. I think that's true of any kind of camp environment. I mean, there's lots of places that have that long-term impact. So a lot of times I hear from teachers, we want our kids to be creative. We give a creative assignment, like write and illustrate a, a story or a children's book or whatever. And what they say more often these days that we're hearing is, um, I don't know how to do that. Tell me how. Tell me exactly what to write. Give me the right answer or help me get it right. And there's this real fear of getting mm-hmm. something wrong. So what do you do? You, you must have kids like this at your camp. How do you get sure. them over that hump? And, and I don't know how to make a go-kart. Well- it's not surprising, by the way, though, that like even as we've democratized access to so many tools that allow creativity, whether or not that's like filmmaking tools, for example, and it's now very easy for kids to make a movie, that somehow kids are now more fearful about making mistakes, more concerned about getting the right answer. So what you just described is exactly what we see all the time. In fact, over the 15-year span that I've been doing this, I've seen kids come to us for the first, when they come to us for the first time, they're more likely to be afraid of making mistakes, less likely to take risks because they want to know how to get the right answer. So I think there's some real things you can do to make failure an expected and appreciated part of the design or creative process. Um, for example, in our setting, every time a kid makes a mistake, they will raise their hand and explain what happened and the entire room will erupt into applause because we've just learned something about how to improve our design. And so, you know, every one of our rooms has a marvelous mistakes wall where kids put up things that have gone wrong in their design and what they learn from it. It's not just about being comfortable with failure. It's about really proving to kids that failure leads me to a better outcome ultimately. So those no, are I, real things that you can I create. Think this, I think this is right on the money. Uh, so the most of the analyses that I've seen of creativity don't describe it as this is a trait of an individual. Uh, there are a set of strategies. The barrier is making the choice to be creative mm-hmm. because it's risky. It's a longer timeline. It's sort of guaranteed to have to revise. So trying to build up these mindsets that allow them to say, it's okay. I'll just fix it. I'll keep going forward. Uh, there's not a lot of risk here. I think this is a really key thing. Well, and mm-hmm. I think the difference – too, and I think you hit it on the head by saying summer is a great time to do this, is at school you're going to get a grade on that project. Mm -hmm. So you don't say to them, you're going to get a grade on your go-kart, and you don't give them a test on, you know, wheel alignment. And so I think you'd be less afraid. Yeah, it's funny though. It's funny that the the strategies, the sort of growth, uh, not growth mindset, but more very specific strategies, things like seek criticism, you know, constructive criticism, 
Turns out the kids who do that, who take these sort of innovation-type strategies, actually are doing better in school. When you say seek criticism as the kid, you're yeah. supposed to seek criticism. That's a hard skill Ra- for Rather than praise. Yeah, yeah. But you learn. You learn. It's sort of like, yeah, it hurts. Get over it. It'll be better in the end. But I think – I don't even think it has to hurt. When you give feedback on the go-kart, first of all, they're going to know. The, the wheels aren't working. It's not going fast. We're not going to be able to get in this thing and have it hold our weight, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's not even – seek criticism it's 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 a natural process but this thing's not working we need to rethink absolutely they feel engaged in the work and motivated by the project so they want it to work so that's probably step one is giving them some ownership over the project itself so that they feel um, a sense of uh, importance in the work and that they want it to ultimately get to their goal so they can show it off at home it's also it's the product that's not working it's not me that's not working mm. and, I- and i think that's an important sort of deflection of of the ego threat I think that's key, right? Because in school, I'm dumb. I did badly. Then that I'm, I can't write a story. You know, when you say that, it hurts me just to see you saying that about yourself. <laughs> okay. I, to... I didn't say I. Okay, no, I, I didn't say I, I, I was I dumb. You're right. You're right. You are listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are having a fascinating conversation with Glenn Tripp, CEO of Galileo Learning. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan and Denise. We are here with Glenn Tripp, founder and CEO of Galileo Learning, talking about summer camp. And, you know, Glenn, it hits me that there's a lot of folks who cannot afford to send a kid to summer camp for uh, financial reasons, but also for, you know, other reasons there's not good ones around or it doesn't fit the schedule. What do you say to someone like that? The first thing I would suggest is to look out for scholarship opportunities because there really are quite a few. Everyone from the American Camp Association to individual organizations like Galileo are granting thousands of scholarships. So do your research to find out if there are ways to create opportunities to attend these programs, one. Two, think about what you can do at home to supplement whatever's going on for you in the summertime or, frankly, during the school year. And my, since I care a lot about creativity and innovation and, and also a helping kids develop a sense of self-efficacy, I'm particularly interested in in allowing your kids to have some downtime, free time, where they can explore their own fun and create their own fun and solve for themselves this problem of being bored. So the first thing I would say is it's not a bad thing for your kids to be unstructured at least part of the time, right? So it's not always a loss to not be able to attend camp. Sometimes some of that free time is good. And, 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 actually, and that free time gets filled up with video games. Well, mm. so, I mean, this is an interesting point. We should talk about this for a bit because I know there's a lot of research out there that says free, unstructured play without adults getting in the way is actually a protective factor for kids. They need it. And one of the things we say at Challenge Success is you have to allow that time and not schedule your kids for the whole day mm-hmm. and allows that. And summer's a nice time for that. But you also have the reality of, okay, then they're going to be on video games or my kid's too young, you know, and then I need to figure out some kind of daycare plan. Mom, I'm bored. Mm. <laughs> you know what I say when my kids say that to me? I say, thanks for sharing that and then I turn turn away. <laughs> right. You're Figure tough. it out, right? Yeah. Figure it out. Especially there's so many things that they can do now, mm-hmm. right? That that even technology, if it's used for good, as you were talking about earlier in the show, go mm-hmm. th- really you're bored, go make a movie. Right. You know? <laughs> so there are a tremendous number of online free resources for kids to to learn things. So if they're either as a parent you can either facilitate a small group of friends doing it together. That might actually help provide a little bit of social context and a little bit more stick to as they're doing this. But you know 
everything from the Khan Academy to Code.org to how to make a Pixar-style movie that's available on Khan Academy. And there's so many cool things so that I you just, can do. Yeah. I just bumped into an online camp called mm. Connected Camps. Mm. And you interact with other kids online. You never meet them face-to-face. Mm. Interesting. And, and it's uh, Minecraft, so you're building mm. things. So it's kind of the video game meets camp, but not mm-hmm. really a video game because you're building things. Okay, but there's still a part of me. <laughs> you still got to get outside. You still, I mean, you're they're, they're, inside right, all day at school. In right, the summer, you got to be out. You got to be outside making lanyards, right? Like, that, totally. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the idea of the kid is sitting in a dark room doing an online camp sort of isn't your model for that, camp. It does freak me out a bit. I will. I have to admit. Well, how about a mix? Let's let's all agree that a mix of these things might be the healthiest thing we can do. And uh, you know, for the outdoor, first of all, there are lots of very inexpensive sleepaway camp options put on by the boys and girls clubs and the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and others. We're talking a few hundred dollars a week for a nice, very nice outdoor uh, residential camp experience that is available uh, for people. So, and even for those, there's scholarships. Absolutely right. So people should look around their community, go onto the website of the camp, call up and ask. Um, I was told by the American Camping Association there's a lot of scholarships that actually go unfunded because Mm -hmm. people don't know they can ask. That's correct. I mean, Galileo is funding 5,000 scholarships this summer. And we will get just about that many applicants. So, like, it's we're we're able to award about ninety nine percent of the people who apply to us for scholarships. So, it's, what I mean by that is that I'm surprised that there aren't more people applying right. for those. So, get out and tell your friends that that sort of stuff is available from us and other people. So, this is an interesting point. You know, the the amount of resources that people of means commit to summer enrichment, or that. Boys and Girls Club sees this as so important. We need to provide this. You know, the, all this effort to make this opportunity, but somehow we we sort of don't say you got to do this. Mm. Right? Everybody's beginning to realize these are incredibly important, but only if you have means do you go know that you should do this for your kids. Is that is that kind of the story that if if you don't have means, you don't say to yourself, "Boy, I need these enrichment opportunities for my kids," so I don't pursue them. Well, it seems like people with means are are being sort of first to notice that what I'm getting in my day-to-day school experience might not be everything that my child ultimately needs to be successful and happy and find meaning in their adult lives. So I think that that's being noticed and people are solving the problem themselves. And the the policy change I'd like to see is taking money that's – first of all, you know, summer school has been – being basically cut down to nothing in many, many urban districts across the the countries. Um, many are not offering summer school at all or in a very limited way. And when they do offer it, it's some sort of um, pretty hard remediation-focused program that's not particularly fun for anybody to attend, and they have terrible attendance rates at those programs. So, my, my so summer... I'd love to see them, the funding return to quality uh, summer education that that has more of an enrichment and project-based approach. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're speaking with Glenn Tripp about the value of summer camp. No, I was just remembering that when I went to summer school, it was for driver's ed and sex ed. Oh, my God. It was very, it was very functional. What did you do in the summer? I learned how to drive and have sex. Uh, no, I learned not to have sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is what we learned in summer school. And, and so was that fun? No, no. This was, this was the era when the ways they were trying to have people have learn about sex was to show pictures of horrifying consequences. Mm. So it, this, was, this was a theory at one point that the right way to prevent people from doing bad things was to show them horrifying pictures of what might happen with those bad things. 
Again, my summers were not awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm they camp, feeling the for you, and yet you did turn out to be a fairly creative person. So mm-hmm. you must have had, you must have played in other ways because we do know that free play is connected to creativity. Can I tell tell a quick story here? You know, in East Palo Alto and in Redwood City, there's been an attempt over time for the boys and girls clubs of the area to start to run more of the summer programming. And two years ago, we started providing professional development and curriculum to them so that they could implement this kind of programming within their summer school population. So whether or not it's that kind of story or other organizations that are looking, there are increasing levels of, of curricular resources that folks can put to use during the summertime. So my hope is that more nonprofits will take this on. So what did you help them do? I think this is fabulous that you offer that to them. What did you help the folks of the city uh, learn how to do? Well, the first thing is we provided the, the project-based experiences and the kinds of uh, guidance on the supplies that are needed for that. So there's that sort of nuts and bolts piece. But the most important thing was to provide professional development to the educators that started with the idea that you are not a teacher of go-kart building or a teacher of science or a teacher of art. You are a teacher of innovation and you are a teacher of change making. And we want to use these projects to teach those things. So that was the fundamental mind shift for them when we got them from thinking that I'm just here to execute on a project to how can I use this project to teach kids to believe in their own ability to change the world. So give us some more examples of the projects because I think this is fascinating. If, if, if a teacher um, wanted to do, mm. you know, wanted to, to teach future change makers, give us some examples. Sure. Well, some of the, at the younger grade levels, we might do something like have kids build a bridge that will withstand a test on an earthquake shake table, right? So you have the next three days in a set of materials where you can, you know, build this bridge to withstand a test that, that's equivalent to a 7.1 magnitude earthquake. And over that multiple day experience, I have lots of iterations, lots of times when my bridge actually falls over in the meantime. And then when the building inspector shows up, the imaginary, you know, played by one of the camp staff, you know, that's when they get to show off and hopefully ultimately have a working project. So that could be building a bridge. It could be making a mural. um, It could be making a film. It could be cooking a signature dish. No matter what the domain area is, we can turn it into something that orients around, that's oriented around creativity and, um, doing it in a way that builds those muscles as opposed to just teaching the content area. Before we end, can I ask a very practical question? Yes. What do I look for? I'm a parent looking for summer camps. How, how do I – Is it, it, there's probably quality control issues. There's also what kind of camp. Any, sure. any tips? My first request is that um, we don't stop at just looking for topics that are interesting to our kids. It's more than about subject area. It's more than about skill area. I want to start with what are the values of the organization and what is the culture of the environment and and what are the higher level, the level two or level three skills that are going to be passed on to my child through being involved in this program. It's not about the tennis. It's about the higher learning that happens because of the tennis. Look for that. Look for quality staff that knows how to professionally work with the kids in a safe way and in a way that meets their individual needs. And then finally, look for something that, of course, works with your schedule and is going to be fun for your kids. I think fun is the key word. Thank you so much, Glenn, for coming on the show. Glenn Tripp, Galileo Learning. Final words? Uh, Summer camp. It isn't just daycare. (laughs) And Dan wishes that he would have. So I have to tell the truth. I actually went to these uh, five-week mountaineering camps that changed my life. Mm. Hello. Where have you been the whole show? Thank you. I've been thinking about camp when I was eight. Oh, oh, you didn't think of when you were older. See, yes. older kids go to camp, too. Yes. This was like 16, 17. Yeah. It was and, transformative. And it changed your life. It did. 
You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're on the campus of Stanford University and on Sirius XM Insight 121. From the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope.